Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 28, reading verses 16 through 20. The Word of God recorded in Matthew 28, beginning to read with verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Prosperity of the Gospel. Prosperity of the Gospel is more clearly understood by contrasting the dangers of prosperity, perversity, and pessimism. The dangers of prosperity. What do you think of when you read the words prosperity gospel? Does your stomach turn a bit as you think about the preachers on television who speak to very large crowds and even more people address in their books? Queasiness is the reaction one should have to that brand of Christianity trumpeted by prosperity preachers. This is because the prosperity gospel is not a gospel at all but rather a damnable perversion of the true gospel. Its preachers herald a message of self-improvement that runs painfully contrary to several key biblical realities. They minimize the purpose of suffering, discourage self-denial, and make the Christian life about accumulating stuff. To do this, they turn Jesus from the self-giving, sin-toning, wrath-satisfying, guilt-removing Savior into an eager butler who fetches all of our desires and gives us our best life now. The prosperity gospel shrinks the gospel down to an unfiltered pursuit of all of our desires. It shifts the message from the spiritual to the material. The prosperity gospel is about us rather than about God. The dangers of perversity. What do you think about the current condition of our nation? Is the media truthful? Is our constitution honored? Are our politicians honest? Are the sexual preferences that are promoted biblical? Are our law enforcement officers respected? Can we trust our health officials? Are our schools safe? 
Are our elections reliable? Are our borders secure? Are our unborn children protected? Is the meaning and the intent of the two genders that God created preserved? Is our responsibility of self-defense threatened? Are our freedoms of speech and worship protected? Are our differences about race, gender, inclusion, diversity, equity, entitlement expressed with honesty and goodwill? What about the availability of pornography? What about the redefinition of marriage? What about substance abuse and the use of social media? What about the rise of the dictatorship of relativism? Isn't this a dangerous time of perversity? Danger of pessimism. How shall we discern the times in which we live? For God's people, it is not the news media, nor podcasts, nor our analysis, whether we tend to be optimistic or pessimistic, but God's word. The Bible is the source of our understanding of the revealed will of God and our understanding of the world in which we live. The major concern confronting us is evil. How can a good, all good, and all powerful God allow evil to exist? Is he sadistic or is he impotent? Those are not the only options. A very powerful God in control of all things, who is very loving, has a plan that will realize his kingdom on earth in such a way that allows evil and suffering. His wisdom is above our wisdom. We are not in position to challenge his wisdom and plan. What we expect about the kingdom of God and the prosperity of the gospel is not important. What Christ expects is. That is supremely important. The expectation of Christ for his kingdom on earth between the two advents is stated in what is named as the Great Commission recorded in Matthew 28, 18-20, which reads, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We have to understand that when we speak of the Great Commission, it is not the Great Suggestion. It is not the Grand Idea. It is not an essay on manifest destiny. It is the mandate from the King of Kings who possesses all authority in heaven and on earth. We say that Jesus is the Lord of the Church and that we believe in him. That means we must obey this mandate he has given us. 
The flow of the statements reminds us of the structure of covenants. The Great Commission begins with the identity of the Great Sovereign. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And it outlines the duties of grateful subjects. Go, teach, baptize. It concludes with promises of continuity and completion. I am with you always to the end of the age. We may identify three things. In verse 18, the greatest authority. In verses, in verses next half of verse 20, the greatest assignment. In the last half of verse 20, the greatest assurance. The greatest authority, verse 18. Jesus uses all in the distributive sense. In every realm of human endeavor and in the culture, Jesus possesses authority for that area to be conducted properly. Jesus says that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. We might think that since he is the Son of God, therefore, by definition, he has all authority in heaven and on earth. However, Jesus isn't thinking of himself here as the eternal Son of God, but as the God-man. He is thinking about himself as the one who has taken our flesh, has borne our sins on the cross, has risen from the grave to be our Lord and Master. He is thinking about the way he came into this world, took our human nature to do something unique. Thus, he received all authority as God incarnate. When Jesus says that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him, he is summarizing everything that he came to do. He is telling his disciples that he has actually been obedient to the Heavenly Father where Adam was disobedient and we likewise. He has won the victory over the powers of darkness that ensnared our first parents. He has offered himself as a sacrifice to the Heavenly Father. He came to redeem sinners and to bring them back to God. Remember what he actually said on the cross? As the Son of the Heavenly Father, he cried out, It is finished. Now he tells his disciples, Because I have done everything that needs to be done, all authority in heaven and on earth, all dominion in the cosmos is mine. That is who he is. What a magnificent testimony and a very simple explanation of who Jesus is and what he has done. His authority is amplified by the promises of Scripture. Abraham was promised that all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. More specifically, God said, I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of heaven, and in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. This promise is assured by the Messiah in Psalm 72, verse 17, where it is declared, His name shall endure forever. His name shall continue as long as the sun. All and men shall be blessed in him. 
all nations shall call him blessed. Micah 3 verse 12 affirms this promise we're writing. All nations shall call you blessed. In Galatians 3 verse 8, Paul writes, And the scriptures, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. Nations are blessed only because Jesus now has the greatest authority. The greatest assignment. Verse 19, the first half of verse 20. This assignment is actually a series to focus on two things. The first is the enormous privilege to preach the gospel. The second is the enormous privilege to believe the gospel. The first enormous privilege is that they are to go into all the world. They are to make disciples of all nations. They are going to do this by two things. The first is by sharing the privilege of baptism with those to whom they speak the gospel. The second is giving directions to those who believe the gospel. The privilege of baptism is this. Baptize them into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Nobody in the Old Testament ever said that. This is a real indication that Jesus is teaching us something about the very character and being of God that was never clear to anybody. When any Orthodox Jew came to a passage in the Old Testament where the name of God is translated Lord or Jehovah, they would pronounce, they would not pronounce it, but they would say and substitute by saying the name. God's name was too holy to be vocalized. But now, Jesus says, there is a way true believers pronounce the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The second enormous privilege is to believe the gospel is explained as the teaching to observe all things that Jesus has commanded. That is a beautiful statement for those who enjoy a fellowship with the triune God. That is a majestic summary of how we live the Christian life, which is to do everything Jesus said. Here is another way to explain the enormous privilege of baptism. Baptism is not what the church does by removing original sin as stated by the Roman Catholic Church. Baptism is not what the sacrament does by saving unless it is resisted, so stated by the Lutheran Church. Baptism is not what the believer does by confessing his faith, as stated by the Baptist Church. Rather, Baptism is what the Lord does by expressing his ownership, as stated by the Reformed Church. R.C. Stroll explains, 
Baptism is not a sign of one's faith. It is a sign of the faithfulness of God to give all of his Son to all who believe. He owns those who confess him as Savior and Lord and their children. Baptism into the name of the persons of the Godhead signifies union and discipleship to the three persons of the one God. The symbolic cleansing with water testifies that God the Father has selected the elect in eternity, that God the Son has saved the elect in history, and that God the Spirit has sealed the elect in person. We may note that sprinkling is biblical practice to symbolize purification and consecration, as when Moses sprinkled the blood on the altar and the people at the inauguration of the covenant between the Lord and Israel, Exodus 24. Whereas immersion symbolize judgment and damnation as in the flood at the time of Noah which drowned all living things save those in the ark and the flood at the time of Moses which swept away destroyed Pharaoh's army we forget about the enormous privilege to believe the gospel the gospel tells us three things we need to know the greatness of our sin and misery, how we are redeemed from all our sin and misery, and how we are to be thankful to God for such redemption. The greatness of our salvation is revealed in that Jesus saves from the punishment of God against sin, justification, from the power of Satan over sin, redemption, from the pollution of sin in persons, sanctification. From the presence of sin in eternity, glorification. The Great Commission tells us that Christ has all authority and calls the church to make disciples of all nations. Christ is building his church. The gates of hell will not prevail against Christ and his church and their onslaught against Satan's kingdom. Christ has bound the strong man and is now spoiling his house. Satan is bound so that he cannot deceive the nations anymore. Other texts indicate that all nations will turn to the Lord. The scriptures are clear about the turning of the nations. We read in Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order and establish it with judgment and justice from this time forth, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Daniel prophesied the success of the greatest assignment in the imagery 
but divinely cut stones smashing the statue of the kingdoms of man in these words. And in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all the kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Inasmuch as you saw a stone that was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that broke in pieces the iron, the brass, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will come to pass after this. The dream is certain, and the interpretation is sure. John prophesied the success of the greatest assignment in the imagery of the rider on the white horse in these words. Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name given that no one knows except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. The armies of heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, follow him on white horses. Now out of his mouth comes a sharp sword, that, it, that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with the rod of iron, and he himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh the name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Revelation 19. The sword is the word of God. The great day of the prosperity of the gospel is coming as a result of the greatest assignment. The greatest assurance, last part of verse 20. There is one thing that you do not need to be afraid of if you listen to what Jesus is saying here. You do not need to be afraid that you will be left on your own to live in a way to glorify God because of what he has promised. Until the end of the age, we are to keep on going into the world, making disciples, baptizing them, and teaching them. As we do, Jesus promises to be with us. Lo means, behold, look at this. This sentence must capture our attention. We must not forget this statement, I am with you always. That is in the present tense. No matter where we are, no matter what we are doing, the Lord is with us for all that we need. He ministers to us by the indwelling Holy Spirit. Jesus pledges to supply everything we need to fulfill the commission. Christ in you shall complete the commission. He supplies all of the grace, power, love, wisdom, endurance to carry out his commission. Always means all the days. This includes good days and bad days. He is with us when someone commits his life to Christ. 
He is with us when someone rejects us for sharing the gospel. Ultimately, the success of the commission rests on the Lord. He works in us as we present the gospel. He works in others as they hear the gospel to bring about his glorious plan. Hebrews 13 verse 5 promises, For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Jesus promises to be with us in every circumstance of life so that the nations shall be gathered to him. Thus, we are part of this massive plan over all the centuries to put all enemies under his feet. Remember what God promised through Isaiah. Isaiah 40, verse 10. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will hold you with my righteous right hand. Psalm 46 states twice, The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. One of the names given to the son of the Virgin Mary is his name, Emmanuel, which is translated, God with us. Because of Christ's presence in his church, we have the greatest assurance. An excellent summary of Christ's expectation of what will happen between his two advents is taught in the second petition of the Lord's Prayer. Westminster Larger Catechism 191 explains the petition as follows. In the second petition, which is, Thy kingdom come, acknowledging ourselves and all mankind to be by nature under the dominion of sin and Satan, we pray that the kingdom of sin and Satan may be destroyed, the gospel propagated throughout the world, the Jews called, the fullness of the Gentiles brought into the church, the church furnished with all gospel officers and ordinances, purged from corruption, countenanced and maintained by the civil magistrates, that the ordinances of Christ may be purely dispensed and made effectual to the converting of those who are yet in their sins, to the converting and comforting and building up of those who are already converted, that Christ would rule in our hearts here and hasten the time of his second coming and our reigning with him forever, and that he would be pleased to exercise the kingdom of his power in the world as may best conduce to these ends. Christopher Martin Idol, a British hymnist and priest in the Church of England wrote, All authority and power, every status and domain, now belongs to him who suffered, our redemption to obtain. Angels, demons, kings and rulers, over all shall Jesus reign. All nations owe him worship, Every tongue shall call him Lord. 
empower men to call upon him if his name they have not heard? Therefore go and make disciples, preach his gospel, spread his word. All the clear commands of Jesus must be heeded and obeyed. Full provision for our weakness in his teaching he has made. In the gospel words and symbols saving truth to us conveyed. All the time he will be with us, always to the end of days, with his own believing people who keep steadfast in his ways. God the Father, Son, and Spirit bless us, and to him the praise. In the Great Commission, the greatest authority, assignment, and assurance, Jesus commanded the discipleship of the nations. All nations shall become his disciples. Because he expects this to be done, all the nations shall be baptized in the triune name of God, put the claim of God's ownership on them. The Great Commission is not great because of what it attempts, but because of what Christ commands. Jesus has conquered sin and Satan and death. Therefore, teach the nations all that Jesus commands. Further, he promises to be with his church throughout all the ages to see that this task is completed. The Lord Jesus Christ expects the prosperity of the gospel. Do you expect the prosperity of the gospel? Gracious God, we ask that you would fill our hearts with the wonder, the power of the saving work of Jesus Christ, and a renewed respect for the command that you have given to the church. Here we live some 2,000 years after the resurrection of Christ. We have brief mission statements of what is happening that we can see around us. You have called us to bear testimony unto you, to proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord. And you have assured that this greatest assignment shall be accompanied by the greatest assurance that you shall fulfill your word, causing all nations to bow before you. May we see the increase of your kingdom, both around us and in us, that Jesus Christ might be praised. We ask these things in his name. Amen.